Blog Talk Radio. Wealthy Sisters is on the air. Wealthy Sisters, the show that features six- and seven-figure-earning women of color. Tune in Mondays at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time as entrepreneur, author, speaker, Deborah Hartnett showcases the triumphant journey of these powerful sisters. You'll be inspired, encouraged, and informed every Monday at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. Our call-in number is 347-838-9278 or listen live 24 hours a day at www.wealthysisters.com. Now, our host, Deborah Hardnett. Well, hello and welcome to Wealthy Sisters Radio, sponsored by Wealthy Sisters Media Group. You can visit us for all your branding and publishing needs at WealthySistersMedia.com, and that's S-I-S-T-A-S. Wealthy Sisters Radio is where we celebrate the lives of six- and seven-figure earning women, and our purpose is twofold. First, we love to inspire and encourage you, our fabulous listener, and second, we must edify, promote, acknowledge, and say thank you to the sisters for doing big things. I'm Deborah Hartnett, your host, broadcasting live on the Worldwide Blog Talk Network, and today is another fabulous Monday. Yes, it's September the 10th, 2012, and I really trust that you are as excited about your future future as I am and beginning with the excitement right now in the present because trust me it is extremely bright and you know we are here every week at the same time that's Mondays at 12 noon eastern so thank you for spreading the word well it is official all the kids I believe have returned to school now and summer is officially over it's time to get back to business it's the last quarter of the year and it's time to focus even more to remain encouraged, and as a wise man shared with me, you know what, if you're discouraged and you're not thinking that your year is going the way or way that you thought it would go when you first wrote those goals down in 2011, well, he said that the game is won in the fourth quarter, so there is still time to win big in 2012. So you know what I'm getting ready to say right now, right? That's right. We have another great great show for you today. And today we really are, uh, as I always say every week, we we have just the best guests um, that are on our show. And today we're going to take time out to pause and remember uh, September 11th. You know, tomorrow is September the 11th, and it was it's been uh, with 11 years now from uh, 2001. And I remember where I was. Um, I was with Delta Airlines uh, had, uh, in the training center as a, working as a manager and facilitator. And I'll never forget that day um, being there at the headquarters and not realizing what uh, it was, uh, thinking it was an attack on the airline. So, I mean, it was, it was amazing um, that day. But we're going to talk about... Uh, 2011 today and and how prepared we are and and emergency preparedness procedures and how important that is for us as business owners uh, to know what type of emergency preparedness procedures we have in place or uh, how do we even begin to put those systems in place. A lot of things we take for granted on a daily basis, and I'm proud to say that our very special guest today can help us create a plan. She is an expert in the field. She's none other than Millicent D. West. Uh, 
Uh, she's a homeland security expert, and she's the president and founder of Weston Associates, and she's a graduate of FAMU School of Business and Industry with over 10 years of direct involvement in emergency response and recovery activities and over 25 years of supporting community building efforts around the world. So she brings a fresh perspective in addressing the challenges that governments and the private sector and individual communities face as they work together to build their capacity and resilience. And she brings us some some great experience. She was the director of the District of Columbia's Homeland Security and Emergency Management System. So we know she has a lot of information that she's going to be able to share with us today. And when we come back from this short break, I'm not going to hold her from you any longer. You know we're going to bring her on board. But we definitely want to remind you that you can always listen to this show if you have to leave or you're just tuning in. You can always listen to this show uh, at Wealthy Sisters Radio, that's S-I-S-T-A-S, radio.com. We appreciate you so much for downloading. Uh, wow, this it, you know that we're available as well on iTunes, free there. That's right, on iTunes. Uh, you can follow us at Wealthy Sisters on Twitter and Facebook as well. And if you've logged into the show here on the Blog Talk Network, go ahead and click follow where you see that right there so you can get a reminder of our show on a weekly basis there. And I think it will give you, you can set the time if you want an hour right before the show starts, you can do that as well. So we are so thrilled, like I said today, to have our special guest, Millicent D. West. We're going to take a short break and come back and bring her on as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. You're live right now with Wealthy Sisters. Stay tuned. Do you find yourself overwhelmed in paperwork? Are you struggling with administrative tasks preventing you from doing what you really love? Then consider hiring a virtual assistant. Call M. Alexander and Associates Incorporated toll free at 1-877-894-0500. Or join them on the web at www.iwillassistyou.net. Business leaders, are you ready to soar? Success is not defined by your wings, but by your courage to leap from the cliff's edge and fly. With Fortune 500 expertise, the Beatty Group partners with creative and motivated leaders, weaving structure and innovation for maximum business success. Visit us at thebeattygroup.com. That's T-H-E-B-A-T-I-E group.com or call the Beatty Group at 877-264-7699. Yes, hello. We are live here on Wealthy Sisters today. We have a very special show. Uh, We're going to take time out to remember September the 11th and discuss some real key issues on what we need to do to be prepared. And we have none other than our very special guest today, Ms. Millicent D. West. She's a Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness Expert. And uh, as always, we always bring you the best. But we want to just take time just to remember... On these, uh, tomorrow, which marks the anniversary date of September the 11th, and just it was a series of four attacks that we know um, and uh, affected us in New York City, of course, and D.C. and and also in Pennsylvania. And uh, today we know that um, you know it's it's a time for us to reflect on where we were then, uh, how we're preparing ourselves today, and 
just remembering those nearly 3,000 people who were killed in the attacks and the 246 civilians and 19 hijackers as well that were aboard um, the plane there, the 246 civilians. So we want to just bring Melissa excuse me, Millicent D. West on, and a very special guest today, and and just say welcome, first of all, to Wealthy Sisters, Millicent, and thank you so much for coming on our show today. Well, thank you for having me, Deborah. Yes, and, and, you know, I know you can share with us. Normally when we get started on our show with our guests, we're very nosy here. We always like to dive right into your background, where you grew up, because the audience likes to find a, a commonality there with all of our guests. But just taking time out to pause and say, well, why do we need to um, be prepared and how should we pay respect tomorrow on September 11th? Well, uh, September uh, each year has been declared National Preparedness Month, and part of that is because of the events surrounding 9-11, 2001. But there are a number of things that we as individuals can do, that companies can do, that communities can do to ensure our own preparedness. When things like an attack happen, there are certain things that we can do to mitigate the impacts but then when we move into the response and recovery phases, there are other things that we need to do. So first of all, things that I encourage people to do is to continue reading uh, current events, find out what's going on in your community, watch the weather, watch the trends, watch all of the things that could potentially impact your day-to-day life. That's what an emergency is, something that impacts your daily life. And then um, we encourage people to look at your own individual situation. If you have children that you're caring for, if you have pets that are a part of your family, if you are caring for an elder parent or someone who has some other type of special need, then you need to plan accordingly. So one size does not fit all as it relates to planning. There are lots of guides on uh, many, many websites that can give you some general insight as to what you need to do to plan for yourself. Uh, But then you need to look at your own individual situation and make sure that you're planning accordingly. So if you have children, you want to make sure that you have lots of batteries for those handheld games and want to have books and crayons. You want to have certain types of snacks. If you have... um, people that are taking medications. You want to make sure that you have a little extra medication around. Uh, If you have people that are on generators, I mean on uh, respirators, then you probably want to think about investing in a generator for your home. And then for your business, you want to look at your, your emergency preparedness plan. Make sure that all of your employees know what that plan looks like, that you exercise that plan so that when something does happen, you'll know exactly what to do. And then, as a second step, you'll want to look at continuity of operation planning. That's something that goes beyond just the the basic planning uh, uh, aspects, but looks at the future. If you had to relocate your site, what would you do? How would uh, employees know how to communicate? What are the steps that you're going to take to make sure that to the public, in your public-facing function, that there is a seamless operation while you continue to bring things back online internally? So there are Mm -hmm. lots of things that we can all do. Um, a, a prepared community requires all of us stepping in and doing our part, uh, and, and when we do that, we can see our communities move back to um, uh, recovery more, more, more quickly uh, and that we can really create a resilient uh, community. 
Well, you know, you you said a lot, wow, uh, and covered a lot of key points there. I remember um, you just mentioned about making sure that continuity plan is in place So what will happen if we have to relocate. Um, never, ever had I seen in my lifetime um, the, the, the airlines being all around, being completely grounded uh, like it was during September the 11th. And I don't think a lot of people were prepared even for the devastation that occurred even on uh, in New York with a lot of the businesses that uh, that you talked about, a lot of companies where their headquarters were there. And I, I think back to my memory of uh, Hurricane Katrina. Um, at the time, we had a business in that area, uh, in uh, the New Orleans and Baton Rouge area, and I remember just trying to get to the gas station or trying to get to the ATM. Those things that we take for granted every day was was very difficult. So how how can we really, or what are some things within that continuity plan that we can actually, that we need to focus on? Because I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah, it's it's really important. It is something that people often fail to to think about. So mm-hmm. in our continuity planning, we want to make sure that we're looking at all of the essential functions within your mm-hmm. company, making sure that um, if there is an emergency, if there is a disruption of service, that people know uh, whether or not they're considered essential. What I find interesting is that a lot of times people don't don't realize that they may actually be an essential part of a company. Uh, And so it's our responsibility as company leadership to make sure that we're sharing with people that they are, in fact, an essential component uh, for the company. And then once we've established who the essential employees are, we look at what the essential functions are. What can we not live without? What must we have every day if we're going to continue? And Mm -hmm. so you look at those um, functions and you develop some strategies around how you can make sure that you continue. If it's the marketing department, if it's the communications department, you want to make sure that those folks have some pre-established messages that they're going to make available to your customers so that they can make sure that the customers can know that you're still in business so that you can make sure that you can still communicate with them. And that requires backing up systems. That requires making sure that you have alternative communication uh, networks set up. That requires looking beyond our cell phones to find out how we're going to communicate with each other. So might, you might need to purchase some handheld radios. You might need to get some satellite phones. You might need to look at uh, making sure that everyone has wireless cards so that they can use the Internet uh, if, in fact, their power is down. So there are some very simple strategies, but it really starts with communication internally and then figuring out how you're going to make sure that your customers know that there has been, while there has been an interruption, there has been little disruption to any service that you're going to be able to provide. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like the, the key plan definitely are to have some type of backup systems in place. Um, I mean, just a simple point of the cell phone that you mentioned. I I have had uh, so many conversations around how we dependent we are just on the address book of the cell phone, and a lot of us don't back it up, or we may not have a, a tangible copy in our hands of uh, those those phone numbers, like the old-fashioned address book anymore. So, right, right. My you know. my recommendation is that anything that you have electronically, you make sure you have that backed up, and ideally, as it relates to those emergency operations plans, while right. you anticipate that you're going to have them electronically, you should have at least one copy, but multiple, uh, preferably multiple copies of that plan 
uh, print it out. Every employee should have one, if not on their desk, at least in their unit, so that they can know what to refer to to be able to know what steps they need to take uh, in, an, in the event of an emergency. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, this is such a vast field, and I know that it has really, over the past 11 years, grown even more. Uh, we hear commercials about it with uh, universities um, as well that are promoting programs like cybersecurity and, and emergency preparedness, getting degrees and certifications in that as well. What? How did you actually get involved uh, in this field, and what, what makes you so passionate about this? Well, um, I have always been um, active in my community. I grew up the daughter of a Methodist minister who uh, made it his business to make sure that we understood the importance of making sure that we looked out for our neighbor, that we mm-hmm. did become our brother's keeper. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was something that I grew up with. That was instilled in me. Uh, and then in 2005, I was here in the District of Columbia and working at Serve DC, which is the Mayor's Office on Volunteerism, and had the opportunity to help to support the relief efforts for those victims from uh, Hurricanes Katrina and Rita that were being brought to the area um, right. to be sheltered at the uh, DC Armory. And so uh, I was uh, responsible for volunteer and donations management. And as you can well imagine, we had over 10,000 people that were signing up to uh, offer their time and their service to help to support the families that were going to be brought here. And we had millions and millions of dollars of donations that were pouring into the city. And so it was in that uh, effort that I really became uh, involved formally in emergency management work. Uh, but the passion for making sure that communities were prepared, for making sure that people knew what their responsibilities uh, were, whether it was in a weather-related incident or if it was just getting folks ready to go to school or whatever it was, uh, was something that I'd always been uh, passionate about. Uh, I served the AME Zion Church for eight years as the General Secretary for Youth Missionaries and developed programming and provided training across the, the country and throughout the world on how to best serve young people and understanding that everybody is um, is different. And just because an adult likes it doesn't necessarily mean that a young person is going to like it. And we had to figure out how to package messages and patch, package information so that young people would be accepting of it and that they would want to make it, uh, embrace it and want to make it a part of their life. And so learning how to make adjustments to basic curricula, uh, learning how to um, develop plans around uh, discrete uh, populations, and learning how to engage uh, populations was something that I had been working on for quite some time. So to bring in the emergency management perspective to that work was something that was really a natural fit. Again, I used to see my father. We grew up in Buffalo, New York, and I used to see my father uh, every snow season uh, mm-hmm. make sure that we had our snow tires on and the, the chains on the tires, and he would go out to each of the elderly members' homes to make sure that they were okay, to make sure that their power was on, to make sure that they had gas. Uh, to make sure that they had food uh, and water because that was a part of his mission and part of his ministry. And so that has become something that made making this choice of starting my own consulting firm in emergency management and homeland consulting strategy um, something that was a very natural fit. 
Oh, wow. I see. So it's, it's it's definitely one of those experiences that we hear often on our show where um, you start out in one field, but the discipline and the experiences are transferred to what you're doing today. So that that's wonderful. Now, share with us more about your firm and what you do with West and Associates. Uh, well, as as you mentioned and as I've mentioned, we do provide strategic consulting services in both Homeland Security and Emergency Management. And what that uh, trickles down to is that we work with local governments, we work with the federal government, and we work with um, the private sector to ensure that there is a relationship between all of those because when something happens, it requires everyone to work together seamlessly Mm -hmm. to restore and recover our communities. And so Mm -hmm. my goal is to help to find those gaps where there are gaps and to help create synergies where there can be. Uh, to make sure that there are uh, as, as few challenges when uh, things impact our communities uh, as possible. So we develop plans. We work on training and exercise. We uh, work to um, create uh, relationships between the private sector and uh, local governments. Often that is something that is forgotten uh, mm-hmm. when we're talking about response and the tremendous contribution that the private sector makes to community resilience and recovery. Something I think Mm -hmm. that's really important also is for, and and, and is a part of what uh, we at Western Associates do, is making sure that individual residents really do understand their role in preparedness. One Mm -hmm. of the statistics that I I talk about a lot is that in most communities, 1% of our general population could be considered first responders. So if something really bad, something really catastrophic happens in your community, um, only 1% of your population is going to be able to appropriately wow. respond to what that uh, to what that event is. And so it becomes really important for people to understand what they need to do personally to prepare. And so it could, in, even in a very urban setting like in the District of Columbia, you mm-hmm. could wait three, five, seven days before a responder actually gets to you unless you're in critical and dire need. And so what we want for folks to understand is that they have a responsibility too. They need to understand what the responders are going to be able to do, and then they also need to understand what's their responsibility. So I work uh, to advocate on behalf of first responders and to make sure that communities understand that everyone is uh, a part of a community's preparedness. And so, you know, helping them to understand those simple tips, helping them to understand what they already have in their homes to build kits and to build their plan with. People think they have to go out and spend tons and tons of money to make sure that they have a kit that meets their needs, but that is not the case. Often, mm-hmm. if you open your cabinets and open your closets, you have what you need right there. And so we offer uh, that simple guidance to folks to let them know that there are practical ways that everyone can work together to be prepared. Wow. Can can you give us some of those examples of uh, the private and the public? I know you talked about knowing um, as in individuals on what our roles are to be as first responders, but can you share some, some real-life testimonies of experiences with us or Sure. So um, if a community um, is impacted by a natural disaster, normally what you'll see is a very significant initial response from your local government. That is the appropriate place for the response to begin. It's first local, and then it extends to your state, your your county, your state, and then the federal government. So it's the first now, local when response. You're... 
when you're saying that, you're not only just talking about, like, emergency, like the police or firefighters, but you're talking about, are you talking about funding on this level? Or what, what when you're saying the, the there local are then? specific actions that have to take, have, have to okay. take place at the local okay. level before okay. you would even begin to access some of the greater funding uh, sources that would be available through the federal okay. government. So okay. in the in the case of uh, an emergency that requires uh, an emergency declaration by the mayor or by the county executive or by the uh, governor, those okay. things have to happen before you can expect that the doors will open for there mm-hmm. to be any federal declaration that's going to uh, create an opportunity for communities to be reimbursed for any mm-hmm. expenditures that they may make um, in response to in recovery from uh, a specific event. But... Um, when the local government is responding, we have to make sure uh, as communities that we recognize that the government is not the sole provider of all of our needs. Uh-huh. We don't grocery shop at the uh, at our local city hall. We right. don't uh, go buy <laughs> batteries from uh, the Department of Transportation. We actually depend on local vendors. We depend on big box stores. We depend on the people who we depend on every day for our basic needs to be there for us when we have some emergent needs. And so it's important for local governments to recognize the value of making sure that those vendors have what they need to make sure that they can continue to provide the services to the community. So Mm -hmm. if you have, um, and I'll use Home Depot as an example, perhaps not the best example, but it's right around the corner. I'm thinking about going there Uh, shortly. (laughs) If, If if Home Depot can't open its doors or people can't access Home Depot because right. the, the road that leads to Home Depot is blocked by debris or there's too much ice and snow on that road, or if Home Depot can't get additional supplies brought in because the major roadways, the interstates, and all those other things are blocked and their suppliers can't get to them, then there are some solutions that we need to work with the private sector, the Home Depot, and the local and state governments uh, on to make sure that there is clear passage so that they can get things that they need to have so that they can open their doors, people can access those facilities, and then the the solutions can be be made more organically versus it being a government-provided solution all the time. Many times Mm -hmm. people know what they need. They just need to be able to get to it. And if you can't Mm -hmm. get to it, then that's where we have some problems. So we're working on solutions and strategies about how we can make sure that that those passageways are opened up, that things aren't blocked um, uh, by bureaucracy or that aren't blocked by people just walking in the middle of the street because they can't get through because the road is clear. We want to make sure that those things are happening so that the supplier can then go ahead, open their doors, and supply folks with what they need. Right, right, because definitely I've heard of those technicalities and I've seen it when you talk about bureaucracy where, the, you know, the hands are tied because of the jurisdictions um, that yeah. you mentioned, yeah, at that time. So that, when you that live is, in a multi-state area like in the uh-huh. National Capital Region or the tri-state area, you uh-huh. know, New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, uh-huh. all those areas where you are going to have some interstate uh, transit, you're going to have things coming from other locations, we mm-hmm. need to figure out how we can make sure that there aren't any barriers. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly we understand that on a normal sunny day like today, um, things should go as they would normally go. But mm-hmm. sometimes we need to look at how we can work differently, and everyone needs to develop that contingency plan so that they can say, well, when we have eight inches of snow, this is what we're going to do. 
not mm-hmm. waiting until we have the eight inches of snow and then figuring out what we're going to do, uh, mm-hmm. but really thinking about that beforehand. And as we've all seen all across the country, things that used to be a part of our normal assumptions around emergencies, things that we think would never happen in our jurisdictions, right. are happening. And so right. we need to begin to plan for that. Uh, and, and as ridiculous as it may sound, we have to think about earthquakes now in the in the District of Columbia on the East Coast. We didn't think right. about that before, but we have to now. We have to think about hurricanes as far up uh, in the Northeast as New York and Maine and Vermont. We never had to think about that before. We have to think about excessive droughts. We have to think about all of those things as it relates to our emergency planning because while they didn't happen before, they can happen, and they have happened in recent years, in recent memory. And so we got to make sure that we're ready for that. Who would have thought that in a course of three months, the District of Columbia would have received over 60 inches of snow? Who would have okay. thought? Never no. happened before. Wow. And so, yeah. you know, now there's a mm-hmm. tremendous plan for mm-hmm. for snow response. But mm-hmm. at that point, we were trying to make sure that we were working with the other jurisdictions that did have the types of experiences with snow that we had. And when people would say, oh, well, you know, we ought to be able to figure that out. You ought to be able to get rid of the snow. Well, you know, we didn't have the types of equipment. And does it make sense to invest in the types of equipment that you need to remove 60 inches of snow when that was an anomaly, when that was something that doesn't normally happen? But what you can do is have that relationship with another jurisdiction, a Boston, a Buffalo, a Chicago, where you can make sure that you can get those big plows that can come down and get that snow out of there and get your city back moving. Mm-hmm. Even as uh, recent in the area here with the storms and the power, with people being out, I think earlier this summer, a power and being, you know, prepared for that now in this area, as you talked about, even with the, the hurricanes and what have you. Um, yeah, as the, well. the power outages um, have been uh, in the past couple of years really extensive. The the storms that have blown through that have destroyed neighborhoods in terms of the tree cover. Uh, and in, storm, in, in, in case of the um, overhead power lines, have really been devastating for folks. And, and like I said, people that are living in very, very urban uh, centers uh, that mm-hmm. have uh, lots and lots of resources available to them are seeing that they're going to have to figure out how to, to depend on something other than what they used to depend on. You know, the power might not turn on when you, when you think it's supposed to. And, and when 500,000 people are without power, that's going to take a while to recover because it's more than just a few down lines. That's down mm-hmm. lines. That means there are transformers, there are substations that have been impacted, and that's going to take a while. So people need to understand that there's going to be saying there are things that they're going to need to do to make sure that they're ready for that. And it it can be uncomfortable and it can be inconveniencing for folks, but not just individuals but businesses as well have to figure out how they're going to do business differently if they're going to make sure that they're going to uh, recover quickly from from incidents that occur in our community. Exactly. And, you know, you also brought up the point about 1% in the communities, only about 1% of the people would be able to act as a first responder. Now, what are some of the things that we can do on uh, right now to increase that percentage? I mean, I, I, Im- immediately I think of, of course, taking the CPR and first aid, keeping that active, but what else can we do? I know you mentioned some of the things in our closet that we might have, but what what can we do in our community right now? I mean, I think about our neighborhood, first of all, 
most people today don't even really know their neighbors or don't have time, as we say, to even say hello <laughs> to the neighbors right. next door. So, but what are some of the simple things that we need to begin to do to change that and to increase that percentage? Well, like you said, um, CPR and first aid courses are something that um, you know translate across boundaries. So everyone. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that can access that type of training should work to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. You can also look up training opportunities like uh, the Community Emergency Response Team training that's provided by local governments and funded through um, FEMA. Uh, they are groups of neighborhood organically grown groups of responders. Often it starts with the neighborhood block uh, group or your um, your commission, your ANC commission or some other small group of folks in your neighborhood that can come together and receive CERT training. Now, that's a pretty intensive training. It's 20 hours of response training, but it takes you uh, through the series of response uh, and allows you to be able to partner with your local responders in that response capability. Uh, So you're going to learn things like basic preparedness. You'll learn about basic fire suppression, light search and rescue, things like uh, helping to extrapolate people from buildings if there are collapses. You'll learn about uh, basic terrorism tactics that you'll need to be able to uh, alert the authorities to. So uh, those are some of the training sessions that people can take advantage of. Uh, You can work with your local transportation departments to find out how you can assist with traffic control. When traffic Mm -hmm. lights are out, when power is out, we need folks sometimes to be able to stand in those intersections if there aren't four-way stop signs or if the lights aren't on flash that can help to direct traffic. You need to put on the vest. You need to have on the appropriate uh, uh, um, protective gear to be able to do that, and you need to have the appropriate training to be able to do that. But those are some of the things that people can assist with doing. And then uh, you can go to your local volunteer center uh, website. There are uh, volunteer centers all over the country, uh, there are a number of different volunteer opportunities that people can involve themselves with that have a training component that will uh, help them to help individuals be able to uh, assist with responders when the time comes. The other part of that is making sure that once you receive that training that you are working with recognized organizations that uh, when uh, when there is an incident, um, when you show up on the scene, the mm-hmm. firefighter will not question your ability to help to provide the level of support that you're able to provide. So uh, often those structured uh, training uh, opportunities are are provided by organizations that have relationships with the first responder community uh, and then can help to ease the way for you to, to provide support. Because what we find is that um, often the trained responders, the professional responders, those people who are being paid to do what they do um, and that uh, risk their lives every day to support communities, um, they have uh, some resistance to allowing volunteers to help them uh, in their efforts. But often in communities, the first responder is going to be someone that's right there in the community. If someone uh, were to have an accident, Uh, unless there's a firefighter right there on the corner, uh, someone's going to have to call. Someone's Mm -hmm. going to need to make sure that they uh, know whether they should or should not approach a vehicle based on some of the things that are happening around a vehicle if there is an accident or if there's a tree down or if there are lines down. We need to know what we should and should not do. And so if it's right there in your neighborhood and you know what you should avoid and you know what you should be looking for, then you can be that 
incident commander until the responder, the professional responder, arrives. And you can then pass along the appropriate information that those responders would need to know so that they can very quickly go in and provide the level of support that they need and then make their way to the next incident to be able to help support the next community. So there's training. Uh, there are resources online. There are resources on my website that you can go to to get information about what you can do to prepare yourself, your community, your business, um, and then I, I, you, you said I talked about having things in your house. Open up your cabinets. Do you mm-hmm. have can? Do you have canned goods there? I'm pretty sure you do. Do you have an electric can opener, or do you have a handheld, uh, non-motorized? Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah, you got to yeah, do that. Yeah. Uh, do you, yeah. I threw do you the, have old, the manual <laughs> away. <laughs> yeah, and then I know a lot of the cans have the, the full tabs now, but yeah. some of them don't. So you want to make sure that you uh, are, are able to access the food that you have. Um, make sure that you have plenty of water. People under uh, underestimate the, the importance of having water. But mm-hmm. we also think that we have to go out and buy water. Unless your water supply is contaminated in your community, you're able mm-hmm. to use the water that runs in your house. You may not mm-hmm. necessarily like the taste of it, but uh, I think a lot of water companies are doing a lot more to make sure that people can appreciate the water or the taste of the water better um, so fill up some empty gallon jugs that you have at your house. Make sure you have at least one gallon per person per day that you plan to prepare for. So if you have three people in your house, you need to have nine gallons of water if there's a three-day power outage just to make sure that you have enough water in the house um, for the people that live with you. Um, you want to make sure that you have batteries, of course. You can always find batteries on sale. You want to have flashlights. Uh, and not candles. Candles are nice for ambiance, but when there's an emergency, uh, you don't want to create another emergency by walking around with an <laughs> with open flame. Right. Yeah, walking around with an open flame. Tripping in the dark. Exactly. <laughs> you get me. So you want to have some flashlights. Have them around in every bedroom. Have one in your office. Have them by your desk. Have them by your front door. Um, and make sure that you check on them uh, regularly to make sure that they work. And admission is that the other day we had uh, some lines down and a tree down in my community, and I went out to survey, or I thought I was going out to survey what was going on, um, but the flashlight that I was using was dead. So I have that sitting on my desk right now um, waiting for new batteries uh, uh-huh. <laughs> because uh, I couldn't use it. But um, So those are some of the things that we, we need to make sure that we do. In your car, you want to make sure you have some water in your car. You want to make sure you have a blanket or two in your car. You want to make sure you have comfortable shoes in your car just in case you have to walk to uh, a destination. You want to make sure that you have um, some snacks, granola bars, things like that, peanuts, um, sunflower seeds, something that can give you some energy just in case you need to be in your car for a while. Um, And for those who... um, Uh, You don't like to think about it, but if you have uh, children, you want to make sure that you have pampers and other or or diapers and other uh, care items for them. But uh, if you're going to be in your car for a long time, you want to make sure that you have the opportunity for people who uh, are a little older to relieve themselves as well. So Mm -hmm, those mm -hmm. things uh, are really important. Um, You want to have extra keys around. You want to have a written plan. Uh, for your family, you want to make sure that you have those phone numbers written down and that someone outside of your jurisdiction actually knows what that plan is and how they should go about reaching you. Mm-hmm. One of the things that was most tragic, I think, that we saw after 
um, Hurricane Katrina ravaged the Gulf Coast is that so many people could not contact yeah. their loved ones. Yeah. And so we, you know, we can work on that very simply by creating a list of those important numbers. Like we used to have on the side of our refrigerator, we need mm-hmm. to keep that list current. We need to actually use that. And, and while we can depend on our electronic um, resources, our phones, our computers, we need to make sure that we have some of that information written down as well uh, so that when we need to reach someone, we know how to do that. And that extends beyond families. That goes into our companies as well, and that goes back to that coop plan. Who do we contact? How do we contact them um, to make sure that we know uh, that, that they know what's happening if, they are, if, if folks are in a different part of the country um, so that they will have some sense of ease about what's happening with the employees and what's happening with the day-to-day operations of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are lots of strategies. There are lots of uh, efforts that people can take to make sure that they are as ready as they can be. Uh, and it's as simple as taking a few minutes uh, today and going into your cabinets and looking to see what you have, doing that in your workplace to make sure that you have uh, what you need at your workplace. I know that in my office, there's always plenty of food. Uh, I always have a can of soup. I always have some citizens down there and some crackers. So, you know, those are things that when you when you don't think it, it goes beyond just not being able to run out for lunch. What mm-hmm. is going to what is going to be my fate if I'm not prepared? And mm-hmm. what will be my fate if it takes a long time for people to get to me? So we need to think about it in those terms. Mm-hmm. Even the cash, having cash on hand. Uh, yeah, that's I, I one know. of my favorite pointers. Yes, yes. <laughs> you got to have cash. Katrina taught us that. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. if you don't have cash, and, and here in, in D.C., just back when derecho hit earlier in the summer, uh, mm-hmm. there were people who couldn't get gasoline because mm-hmm. they didn't have cash. So the, the pump worked, but they couldn't pay right. for it because all they right. had was a debit card. The same right. thing happened at grocery stores. They could get into the grocery store. They could buy food, but the credit card machine scanners were not working. We're down. You right, had right. to have cash. And right. in my community, the local bank was without power. So not right. only did you have to make sure that you gas up, you got to make sure you have cash, and you got to make sure that if your bank isn't working, then you can that you can make it to the next bank to be able to get some cash. But the best way is to keep, if if you can, and I know everyone can't do this, but if you can, keep a few extra dollars, a couple hundred dollars in a safe place in your house to be able mm-hmm. to make sure that you can go out and get the things that you need in the event of an emergency. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can. I'm sure you could uh, coin a training called old school. <laughs> go back to old school. I, oh, I, and I love it. Old school stuff that we need to do. Uh, yes. Uh, people people under, um, uh, underestimate the value of a good radio. You got to have yeah. a radio, and, and, yeah. and it's ideally a weather radio. But you have a radio. Radio stations are one of the last things that you're going to lose um, mm-hmm. in in an emergency. Uh, mm-hmm. You're going to lose your television because you're probably going to lose power. But you can have that battery back uh, back up on your radios and be right. able to get information uh, around the clock. People underestimate the value of a hardwired copper line phone. I was going to I say have that one in my house. Yeah, yeah, I have one in my house. I don't use it uh-huh. on a regular basis, but if I needed to be able to contact uh, the local uh, responder, if I needed to be able to call someone, I can do that through that hardwired phone. But mm-hmm. if you don't have a phone um, that's um, that's you know the traditional old school phone, um, mm-hmm. 
even if you're going to use your cell phone to communicate with people, people need to know that the texting capability, especially in the event of emergencies, is going to be much greater than that of phone capability. Uh, mm-hmm. Very quickly, phone lines become overloaded, but uh, the text capability for folks uh, can work well beyond the um, capacity of phone lines. So remember that in emergencies. During the earthquake, our phone lines were overloaded. They were down. So you could yes. text. You yes. text people. Uh, yes, and your, phone, your, your, your hardwired uh, copper line phones also worked. But most right. people don't have those anymore. So right. um, there are things that you got to look at. Uh, uh, and even uh, when when some emergencies occur in communities, uh, there's something that's called reverse 911. And mm. they're working on technologies now that make that uh, available for folks who use cell phones. But generally speaking, in most communities, if there's a phone call that needs to be made from your local government about uh, a situation, if that EAS, emergency alert system message, needs mm-hmm. to go out, uh, there's a system called Reverse 911, and it calls all the registered telephone numbers in your jurisdiction. Now, mm-hmm. if you don't have a hardline phone, they can't call you. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're working on making sure that the technologies are in place to extend beyond those hardwired phones uh, and that they are able to reach uh, cell phone users. But as mm-hmm. I often say, uh, we we can't uh, we can't neglect using the uh, traditional ways of communication because while many 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 people in most communities are very well connected using electronic media, there are just as many people that are not connected. I think about mm-hmm. my mother. She doesn't text. She has a cell phone, but she doesn't text. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, what am I going to do? And I think about my grandmother, who doesn't have a cell phone at all, <laughs> you know, but she reads the newspaper and she listens to the radio. So right. we've got to look at the full spectrum of communications options that are available to us to make sure that we're not forgetting anyone in our communications. And then for those who have special needs, we want to make sure that we're extending that communication even further. So uh, how are we dealing with people that have hearing loss? How are we dealing with persons who have visual impairment? How are we dealing with people who have cognitive issues and can't necessarily understand even the most simple commands as it relates mm-hmm. to what we should do in response to an emergency? So you have people that um, that have uh, learning uh, differences. How are we going to communicate to make sure that those folks know exactly what they should do uh, when there's an emergency? And that's something that I think about often because my son has Asperger's, which is a form of autism. And when it rains hard, it may as well be a hurricane. And, Mm. you know, it's funny right now, but when something's happening, it's a very, Mm -hmm. very serious time for me and my family because we have to make sure that he understands that it's not going to be a hurricane. And if the power goes out, this is what we're going to do. And mm-hmm. there's no need for you to be afraid. And we're here to protect you. But that conversation is a very, very difficult conversation to have. And preparing for a child that has that type of special need is something that's unique uh, to, I think, uh, I don't want to say to just this generation, but that the, 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 the rise of autism it's and more common. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, is, is mm-hmm. more common. And so mm-hmm. people who have to uh, work with young people or, or adults that have autism or autism spectrum disorders or other types of communication-based um, uh, challenges, we, we really have to work hard to make sure that we're covering all of our bases. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. those are some of the reasons why I'm passionate. 
Uh, well, I can yeah. definitely, definitely um, see and appreciate that. I mean, you have really shared some some eye-openers. I go right back to that can opener. I need to go and get a manual one right away. <laughs> I have an extra one for you. <laughs> I have extra everything, actually. <laughs> yeah, and like you said, you know, just going back to that old school and what Mama said, because I can hear her and my grandmother saying, "You always need, you better have, you gotta have That's extra, right. you gotta have." That's this. right. People laugh and, at me because I always have a whole lot of stuff in my house, and they say I, I remind them of my father who used to go to the bank. <laughs> the post uh-huh. office and the grocery store every day. I don't know what he was doing at all three of those places every day, but we were going to have food, we were going to have some cash, and we were going to have, I guess, our mail every day. <laughs> so, but that was something he did. Um, and that's something that I do, and I, I'm sure my husband wonders why we have so much food in the house sometimes. But you got to be ready. you got to be you ready. you got to be anything. ready. Yeah, you got to be ready. And just speaking of that, please give us your website, and then I want to talk about how this uh, working in this space as a woman of color and as a woman, how that has been. And, and we I know we have um, several our audiences, we have a lot of men that listen to our show as well, but we also, of course, have women, and a lot of our uh, listeners are in transition, and they are looking for new areas of business to get involved in, and like I mentioned earlier, I've, you know, we've heard a lot of the commercials that are talking about different certifications in this area, so I would love for you to share more um, about that as well, but first, again, give us your contact information and how people can learn more about your your firm and uh, find you on Facebook as well. Sure. Um, you can visit me on the web at www.westandassoc. So not fully West and Associates, but West and A-S-S-O-C. It's spelled out, W-E-S-T-A-S-S-O-C dot com. Uh, we have a web presence there, and yes, we are also on Facebook, and you can reach us on Facebook by going to, um, trying to figure out the best way to tell you this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give us your page uh, there. With, yeah, I'm looking at my page, uh-huh. and it's West and Associates LLC. So you can just go to either Millicent West or West and Associates LLC, and you'll find information there on my page. I try to, on a regular basis, um, post messages on Facebook um, that can be used uh, for everyday use, very practical mm-hmm. use. So that's where you have the most dynamic uh, conversations. And if you would like to contact me, uh, you can do so either through the website or through Facebook. And then I'm also on LinkedIn uh, at Weston Associates and LinkedIn. Awesome. That's awesome. So tell us more about this space that you're working in uh, and how it's been for yourself as well Um, as a woman of color. Well, when I served uh, the District of Columbia as the um, Homeland Security Advisor and and Emergency Management Agency Director, I was the only African-American woman doing that for a quote-unquote state, even though the district's not a state. I was considered a state director. Um, Mm -hmm. I was the only African-American woman doing that um, in the country for the time that I served. Uh, And I was only the second African-American woman to serve in that capacity, the first having served in the District of Columbia 
before me. Her, her name is uh, Barbara Child Pear. So uh, we are one of two that have served in this capacity in the country. And so, uh, as you can well imagine, uh, that creates an interesting space. Uh, mm-hmm. When you enter the room, uh, mm-hmm. uh, people aren't sure what to make of you and uh, assume lots of things. But what we were able to do was to demonstrate um, our ability to function in that space and combine the best of what I learned in business school and what I'd learned throughout the course of my life and combine that with the practical application of emergency management practices to um, be able to represent the district um, whenever I I went out and and did the work that I had to do. Uh, when, When you're at home doing your job, you don't see yourself the way that others perhaps do. Uh, and right. it takes going out to the annual conferences and 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 having um, conversations uh, that uh, with with folks from other jurisdictions that reminds you that you are a little different and and perhaps um, there are things that you will uh, need to do differently. But I never doubted the ability to to do the work. Uh, mm-hmm. I just had to make sure that people were clear that um, I was there and that mm-hmm. I was supposed to be there. And uh, mm-hmm. usually by the time I left, uh, if they didn't know before I got there, by the time I left, they knew I'd been there. I'm and, sure uh, they did. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, it, 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 it brings with it its challenges. It, it can be a very, very lonely place, but um, there is a, a huge uptick in the number of people that have uh, a number of women, especially women of color, that are becoming involved in the field. And so uh, I'm encouraged by that. Um, You mentioned that the number of programs that are dedicated to either cybersecurity, emergency management, homeland security, uh, and any of the other public safety disciplines, that that discipline has um, been on the uptick and has demonstrated the highest um, uh, introduction level in terms of programs and, and degree programs at colleges and universities across the country in the past 10 years. The trend is really startling in terms of the numbers of programs that have been created to service the need. Uh, And so there are opportunities there for women of color um, and women to become involved uh, in ways that they had not been before. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it it, it is something that um, you can be passionate about and, and that can translate across many different disciplines. You you don't necessarily have to start out being a firefighter or a police officer or uh, even a volunteer in your community. There are ways that you can take what you already know and apply that to this field in ways that uh, you perhaps had not imagined. And so um, many many, uh, emergency management agencies or homeland security agencies will have not just the policy people but the folks who work on, on finance in the area. But mm-hmm. those people are also learning about emergency management and become mm-hmm. emergency managers because they're a part of an agency that's dedicated to that service. Um, mm-hmm. You have planners, you have urban planners that can uh, trans- that can 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 become uh, emergency planners. You have training and exercise uh, specialists. If you are a trainer, that doesn't necessarily have to stop with one particular field, but can extend beyond. Uh, and so we have trainers that are good trainers. And then they mm-hmm. learn how to be emergency management or homeland security trainers um, because we saw the value in making sure that there were people that knew how to connect with people 
and then mm-hmm. we help them to understand the, the the importance of learning the discipline and how you could combine the two. Um, there are a number of intel officers, people who uh, are able to go into systems and find information that uh, is both um, refreshing and often startling, uh, but then they're able to take that information and put it into formats that anyone can understand uh, and appreciate and be able to apply it to their daily lives. Uh, and then you have folks that are just good in the community that can be those outreach folks that help to spread the message on preparedness and on homeland security policy and how folks can, can really be prepared. And so you need that as well. You need public-private sector relationship uh, personnel as well to help to connect people uh, in ways that they perhaps had not been connected and help them to understand things in ways that they perhaps had not understood them previously. So there are lots of areas within emergency management and homeland security that uh, can can really uh, begin to, to form themselves in, in different ways, and people can find themselves in it and really begin to make a career out of something that is something that can be a, considered something they would do anyway or something mm-hmm. they were always interested in. Um, if you're organized, if you're passionate about your community, if you want to make sure that folks have information and use information and know what to do uh, when things are happening, if you can connect with the private sector and you have relationships with the private sector, that uh, can help you to gain access to people and information that help to build systems, then you can be a valuable asset to the field. Well, you know, I can just definitely see, uh, especially for women, that we are naturally nurturers, nurturers rather, and I can definitely see that fitting into the roles that we play uh, as well because you have to have, I would imagine, in a lot of those disciplines or areas that you mentioned, it's great to be a person that loves to serve as well as the way you grew up uh, in seeing your father uh, being there to take care of everyone in the community, and it's just been a natural transgression um, for yourself. And I can see a lot of other women business owners taking advantage of that opportunity as well because, like you said, there there are a lot of opportunities around it. So would you suggest that they go and Google or what, what you know, I know you, you mentioned the different areas, but where where would they start to see what discipline well, would be best for a, them? a couple of things. I wanted to mention, yes, it's great that women are traditionally nurturers, mm-hmm. but there is also a part of this work that requires you to be um, uh, very um, regimented and mm-hmm, almost mm-hmm. almost and analytic. Yeah, uh-huh. be very analytical, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. you just have to get in and do the work. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I'm going to give a little bit of a testimony. When I was doing the work uh, at the uh, D.C. Armory with the Katrina and Rita evacuees. Um, I was excited, and and when the folks were coming in the door, I was, you know, saying, okay, volunteers, let's smile, they're coming, you know, let's be excited about their their being here, and and let's find out what the needs are, and let's meet those needs. So within a minute or two of the people getting off of the bus who had been sitting on the side of the road uh, for a week at this point, um, Mm -hmm. and that had been taken from the side of the road, put on a plane, and brought mm. to the D.C. area to Dulles Airport. Many of them mm. thought they were going to Dallas, so they came to Dullis. There goes Dulles. that communication thing again. Yes. So yes. they were coming in, and they had not been previously sheltered. 
They had not been previously medicated. Wow. They had everything that they had in the world on in a black plastic bag hanging over their shoulders, and they were coming in. And so within minutes, I would dare say seconds, I was, you know, <laughs> I was the seriously mood changed. impacted. I was yes. just, you know, I, yeah, I was beside me. I didn't know what to do. I was, you know, I had to excuse myself and go down the hall, and I was crying, and I called my parents, called my father, and he asked me, he said, okay, um, are you done? <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> so he said, all right, so get it together, get back in there, and go do what handle. you need to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because those people mm-hmm. need you. And so from that moment, it took mm-hmm. that for me to say, you know, I, 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 I can empathize, but I can't allow my empathy or my sympathy to get right. in the way of my response Serving and my right. service to these people. Mm-hmm. And so it was from that moment that, you know, I, I switched. And so as an emergency manager, you have to be able to switch and say, okay, I know that you're hurting. I know that you're hungry. What do I need to do in X number of minutes to take this situation from something that is disastrous to something that is at least bearable so that we can get to recovery? So it requires right. compassion, but it also requires a, a level of, of, of structure and, and ability to switch, to be right. able to move beyond that to get the job done. So, right. yes, Googling, Google all day. You will find thousands, perhaps millions of sites that you can go to. But if you were to put in, if you wanted to get some immediate training, you know, go to your local emergency management agency, your local homeland security agency. Look them up on your local websites to see uh, what they have available to residents and to businesses. I would also encourage you, go, encourage you to go to FEMA's website and look on the Emergency Management Institute link. Um, that is a link that uh, takes you to all types of online training opportunities that you can participate in, and then you can actually go to the Institute, which is um, in Pennsylvania, for some uh, resident courses, some resident training. If you want to go even deeper, there are a number of different programs that people can uh, register for that you can get degrees in or certificates in. So uh, you can Google emergency management. You can Google um, Homeland Security, you can Google either of those with policy on the end, you can Google either of those with uh, certificate programs on the end, and you'll find a wealth of information uh, on all of them. Of course, you want to make sure that if you're going to go through um, the university process or if you're going to get a certificate that you're doing so with an accredited um, university or college uh, because you do want to make sure that people respect the uh, lessons that you've learned and be able to accept those uh, as a part of your training. But there are a number of resources that you would be able to find. uh, And you can even go to my page, and there are some links there to some resources as well uh, for folks who are interested in transitioning transitioning into this type of work. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, we want to thank you so much, Millicent, for this awesome uh, information that you share for, uh, with us today. It's definitely given us a lot to think about and to prepare in our businesses and our in our personal families as well. And I cannot forget that can opener. I'm coming to get that from you okay. very soon. <laughs> and definitely we want to encourage everyone to go to your website and thank everybody uh, for tuning in. And, again, her website is West and A.S. 
www.ssoc.com. Visitors there. And we want to thank you again for tuning in, remind you to join us next week. And if you just joined us for this show, you can catch this show and all our other dynamic shows at Wealthy Sisters Radio. That's S-A-S-T-A-S, WealthySistersRadio.com. And remember to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. So until next week, we want to wish you and yours the best of everything great. Have a super day, and we'll see you next week. Thanks again, Millicent. Thank you. All right. As we have our technical difficulties here, we want to end our show music, so we're going to sign off now because they won't let us to to click on it there. So have a great day, everyone. Thanks so much. <laughs>